Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And welcome to Overnight America. It's going to be quite a chilly night, so let's warm up on the radio. 50,000 watts could do that, depending on how close you are. Brad Young is going to join us in the next segment. We're going to talk about the wrongful death suit that was filed after the car that crashed into the Starbucks and Olivet, or on Olivet, I should say, and uh, took the life of someone. So is there going to be a case to make for a wrongful death suit? Is it a strong case? We'll talk to Brad Young about that. Thomas Gilbert, who's going to join us, he's the author of a book called How Baseball Happened, Outrageous Lies Exposed, The True Story Revealed. Sounds very tabloid-esque, but still, I kind of like this. I kind of like this. And a little bit later, too, Bill Cleveland is going to join us. He's a local author, and he is someone that has a book out called Finding the American Dream, We're going to talk to him about some Missouri ties. And as he's traveled and talked to certain people, that's exactly what he's going to do. So I'm looking forward to that, too. So um, who else we got here? Oh, yeah, Dave Scott, a friend of ours. He hosts a podcast, a show, live show, I should say, on some radio stations, too, Spaced Out Radio. And he did a post about bullying in the UFO community. And I said, wow, that's kind of a topic I never would have thought of. So good news. We're going to take it. And we're going to see what we can do with it. And lots to uh, get to otherwise in what's going on in the news. One thing that just broke a couple of minutes ago, and this is a pretty big deal, about the Hunter Biden laptop. So the FBI has now come out and confirmed what the Department of Intelligence has said, which is this is not Russian misinformation. So the FBI has said, nope, it is not the work of Russian misinformation. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. So um, what I wanted to do was maybe save that for later and i'm sure we'll take some of your calls on it too but first i gotta mention one thing 2020 has been a rough year so far hasn't it 
And something that always brought me comfort every single year is you, you pop on the TV around this time of year. You got a Thanksgiving special, you got a Christmas special, and a Halloween Charlie Brown special. Not this year. This will be the first time in 55 years the Charlie Brown holiday films will not be shown on TV. Isn't that a shame? Isn't that sad? I, I really don't know what to make of this right now because I'm just distraught with the idea that I'm not going to be able to uh, pick this up on TV because it's a guaranteed watch. You know? Absolutely. Who else here, if it's on, you don't flip to the station anywhere else. You know what you do? You stop there and you watch Charlie Brown because Charlie Brown specials are the best. There's nothing wrong with it. It's for all ages. It brings you comfort. It brings you joy. It brings you all kinds of emotions. It goes back to the first broadcast network airing since 1965. So every season, you know, the Great Pumpkin, the Thanksgiving, the Christmas, all have been shown except this year. They're moving on over to Apple TV. Gross. Gross. I don't know anyone that would say, oh, I'm going to go buy myself a Apple TV subscription so I can watch Charlie Brown. Yeah, right. Get out of here. You know, all of these different streaming networks, they all want you to spend money with them. Oh, yeah, $10 here, $12 here, $8 here. Like, everyone's going to go out there and just buy all these different services. And it's it's a mess. Don't take Charlie Brown away from us. Uh, so the series will hopefully live on in the future, and maybe someone smart will be able to get that. <sighs> Let's see. Oh, here's another story I saw, too, talking about it's the time of the year. When to watch the 40 new Hallmark Christmas movies this year. So Hallmark Channel will debut 23 Countdown to Christmas originals, while the Hallmark Movie and Mysteries will debut 17 Miracles of Christmas movies during this holiday season. How bad is it when a guy like myself would read a story like this and say, yeah, I could probably go for a Hallmark movie right about now. That's how bad 2020 has been. In a year where we are just trying to find a little bit of joy when there's not a lot to go around. I don't know. I'm not one to watch Hallmark movies. I'm not one to care. Every once in a while, by the way, Hallmark will throw a bone and do a story about someone that's in the media. Like I've, There's been one maybe two years ago. It might have been longer, where it was a woman who's a big-time radio DJ has to go back to her hometown uh, for something. And then, then there's one where there's another radio one, too, but they've used that as a storyline a few times. I feel like after a while, you pump out so many of these Christmas movies, you're bound to recycle some of the same ideas. But isn't the whole plot line for every Hallmark movie exactly the same? It, it, isn't it essentially, and stop me if I'm wrong, but person finds themselves going to a familiar place and finding love and then making a decision to either stay at that familiar place or go back to their regular life and leave the love behind. Is that every Hallmark movie in one sentence, pretty much? My family, my in-laws, when they come into town, if they do, I'm pretty sure they will this year, but they like to watch Hallmark movies when they're here, spend a little time at night kind of just, uh, you know, wasting away. And it's not the worst movies ever, but they're definitely not something I would go out and get excited for. But that's just sad that Hallmark movies are something I could get, look forward to when I've never done that before. Oh, the times they are changing. 
<laughs> who's who's going to be sitting and waiting for this? You know who the very first person that would message me about a story like this? There's Jeff from Ferguson. He's on Twitter, and he messages me. He says, hey, um, I already saw the Christmas decorations. They skipped Halloween and went straight to Christmas. And he, he gives me a store, or he'll say, hey, look at the program lineup. They're playing Christmas music, movies already. He likes to, he's, he's a watchdog for this sort of thing. So maybe he's on board for this. I'll have to check out some of the plots for this, if there's anything abstract or a little bit different. So coming up in a few minutes, uh, Brad Young is going to join us. We're going to talk about that wrongful death suit that was filed based on the car crash into the schnooks in Olivet. Uh, on all of it, I should say. And is there a pretty strong case to be made? We'll ask him about that in his expertise next on Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. So here we are trying to deal with all the different news that is flying through the air. And you can only grab so much. You ever seen those like diving for dollars type of shows or whatever they are? Sometimes you see them at festivals and you walk into a booth and then they turn on the air pump and there's like a bunch of dollar bills that are flying and you got like 30 seconds to grab as much as you can and whatever you can grab onto and walk out with you get to keep. That's essentially the news cycle the last month or two, and it's continuing. The the air blower is just going like crazy, and we're just trying to grab as many of these news stories out of the air because it's one after another. If it wasn't just for all the local news, and there's certainly a lot of that because of the local elections and how things are playing out with COVID and the county and the power grabs and the problems and the murders and the homicides and, you know, there's there's stuff all over the place. National news stories, too, continue to go. Uh, Joining us now... See, this is not a transition or at least an intro that has anything to do with what we're about to talk about. More or less, it's just me making a lousy observation. Uh, Brad Young from Hairstyle Fisher and Young. Um, I saw the story posted. A lawsuit has been filed in the fatal Olivet Starbucks crash, and I wanted to talk to him about that. Brad, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, Ryan. Thanks. So we find the story from just a few weeks ago. It's really a tragic story. A couple inside of a Starbucks on October 3rd. Uh, Glenda Simmons was there, and a car went through the Starbucks, struck her, and she ended up losing her life. The person behind the wheel, a 78-year-old, crashed through that window in Starbucks. Now um, the, I guess, widow, the husband, has uh, lawyered up and said that they're going to file a wrongful death suit against the Starbucks, and I'm sure against the person, whoever it may be, in that suit. And I think about, you know, it is an accident, sure. I'm curious your thoughts on this case and if you think that there is a pretty strong case to be made for a wrongful death suit. Well, there, there is a very strong case for a wrongful death suit here, Ryan. The question is against which defendant, and there's numerous defendants in this case. That's a typical strategy for plaintiff's attorneys to file against multiple defendants because obviously uh, multiple targets in a litigation uh, allows for a greater opportunity of recovery. But what's interesting against the, in the case against Starbucks, though, is a concept called negligent security. Is that something you've, you've heard before? Hmm. It's a great term. Is it a podcast? I may have listened to that one before. <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, no, but <laughs> negligent security. We typically see that as a oh, legal oh, doctrine. No, it, it, it's a Pauly Shore movie. I got it now. It is. It is. And it's where he goes to boot camp 
and he becomes a security <laughs> guard. And it's he has to cut his hair, and he has to learn how to polish his shoes. Become no, no, no. Negligent security uh, is a concept that we normally see in cases where someone is at a restaurant or a business and they get mugged or robbed or stabbed by criminals in the area. You can't sue criminals necessarily for those crimes. So you sue the businesses alleging that you should have been uh, better at protecting us while we were entering and leaving your establishment. But this lawsuit against Starbucks is, emanates from the same concept that that uh, this is a place where there have been accidents before. There have been cars that have uh, have crossed and crashed into this building in the past. And therefore, you were placed on notice, Starbucks, with the, as the theory goes, you were placed on notice that this could happen. And your failure to put up a barrier or a post or some sort of protection against this constitutes negligence and therefore contributed to the death of the plaintiff. That's the concept in a nutshell. Okay. So one of the things that I read, and I, I think it was Fox 2, but a couple of them, maybe the Post-Dispatch posted it too, that back in 2006, there was a similar accident. A car went through the glass in the front store at the same Starbucks. So when I hear things like that, I think, well, if it's already happened to them once and they know that it could be a problem, the proximity of the cars to the building, no barrier. Um, if it happened once at a location, would a business, would it be reasonable to say a business would have to take an extra step to protect the customers? And by not doing that, a, a lawsuit like this becomes more valid? It, it does become more valid. It doesn't necessarily become guaranteed, but it becomes more valid. And it's not unlike, we've all heard this case where, uh, where someone gets bit by a dog. Okay, you own a dog, your dog bites your neighbor, and everybody likes to quote the phrase, well, with dog bite liability cases, the first bite is free. Okay, so what what that means what that means that's a very simplistic legal doctrine that says if your dog bites someone, but that's the first time it's ever bit anyone, then you weren't placed on notice that the dog was dangerous. So you can't be held negligent or or you can't be held liable for negligence if you didn't know or should have known that your dog would bite your neighbor. But after that first bite, you know the second bite ain't free. OK, so this is the similar type of doctrine here uh, that since this has already happened once before, it places them on a greater uh, likelihood that it could happen again in the future, which improves the case of the plaintiff here. And as you mentioned, depending on who uh, is labeled here, Starbucks or the individual behind the wheel, this seems much more likely that uh, Starbucks would be uh, more likely to be liable in a situation like this. What about the person behind the wheel? Uh, what, what normally happens to someone when they're named in a suit? Well, first of all, they have to place their insurance company on notice of the lawsuit. Uh, if someone has car insurance, then you have liability protection. But in a case like this, this is a very short analysis. In other words, the only real analysis that's going to be going on for the driver is how much insurance coverage do they have and how quickly can they pay it, okay? Because the, the injuries are catastrophic, and so whatever insurance coverage that driver had, there's more than likelihood there's going to be some negligence there. And so the insurance carrier is just going to offer up their policy limits, whatever those limits might be. But what's interesting is I, I did a little bit of research today, and I found a study that studied negligent security cases over the past 10 years. And it showed that defendants, like Starbucks, that defendants won 52% of the time that these cases wow. went to a jury trial. 
And they studied 1,086 cases over the past 10 years involving negligent security. Defendants won 52% of the time. So I only mention that statistic to say it's a difficult case to make to show that a business is negligent when they don't protect it against dangers like other drivers or uh, uh, criminals in the neighborhood. It's tough to make a jury believe that, but a lot of these cases get settled. I see. And that's probably, well, we'll see how this one plays out. It's always interesting to me because some people look at this in, I guess, 50-50. It's, kind of, it's a tough way because a lot of times, I guess, jurors even look at it as a 50-50 type of proposition. Some may be persuaded. I guess some are not. You know, I have one other question for you, totally unrelated to this. And I should have uh, gave you a heads up that I was going to ask you about this. But in general, generally speaking, I know that you've done depositions and you've been part of them and even some high profile things. But I, I wanted to ask ask you about the news of the Maxwell transcript strip. So this is the Madame for Jeffrey Epstein. She was um, apparently there was depositions that were recorded and they tried to keep that private. Now a judge okays the release of these transcripts and it looks like they could come mm-hmm. out as early as Thursday. Now the Epstein case very notorious because they could be some very high profile people listed as part of these depositions. So uh, when when a deposition at least the I don't know if the audio or the video will be released, but even if it's just transcripts of these things are released, could there be some pretty big information released in these? Or for the most part, when someone goes through a deposition, there's not a lot of like really big, juicy details that will affect a case. No, there's a lot of details that come out. Uh, And like, for example, whenever I depose someone, I ask 18 million questions and maybe only 100 are relevant. But I ask all kinds of questions Number one, because I want the deponent to start talking a lot, right, because that always helps my case. The more the deponent talks, the better it is for my client. But then secondly, it allows for more opportunities or avenues of questioning. So Mm -hmm. these depositions could cover a wide scope of topics. They could Mm -hmm. cover lots of personal and intimate details, and lots of information could come out. Because don't forget, that's how Bill Clinton uh, got in trouble, was in a deposition. So that's how that information came out that led to the impeachment of Bill Clinton. That came out of the Paula Jones deposition when Bill Clinton was deposed. So Mm. lots of great information can come out of a deposition, and I would expect that to be the case here. Uh, Bill Clinton thinking right now, oh, depositions. It's his uh, (laughs) biggest foe. So with the the, uh, news of this now, with Jeffrey Epstein no longer alive, this is going to be pretty big because a lot of the details that could be coming out in this could name some very powerful and famous people that were included at least to be in the circles of Jeffrey Epstein. And who knows, maybe there's other descriptions of things even beyond just being associated with him. So, oh boy, that's going to be another big bombshell this week. And I guess we'll have to watch for that. These, uh, These transcripts, by the way, when normally, if you request one of these, how many pages do these things normally go when you ask about a million questions? Oh, I, I listen, I deposed a doctor one time for 12 straight hours when the only thing we had were some bathroom breaks, and the deposition transcript was about 1,500 pages. So, you know, there's, <laughs> I'm not teasing. It went, it went about 12 hours. So it, these uh-huh. can go very, very long. 
Okay, so this is not for light reading. Okay, I just was curious about if we uh, how to figure out our expectations of when this actually comes out, if there's going to be anything that's newsworthy, and this could be huge, whatever does become released, if it does. I mean, there, it looks like maybe even on Thursday. So who knows? Brad Young from Harris Dow Fisher & Young. I appreciate the time here. Thanks for coming on tonight. Hey, my pleasure as always. And he joins us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. I'm a fan of talking history. In this case, it's something a little bit more fun. How baseball happened, outrageous lies exposed. Thomas Gilbert, the author of that book, coming up next on Overnight America KMOX. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. This is Kevin Wheeler. Stay tuned this week as we look at five key storylines that will impact the upcoming Cardinals offseason. From veterans hitting free agency to the search for more offensive production. We'll have it all right here on your home for the Cardinals, KMOX. Welcome to Overnight America. We like to, I, you know, for at least I, my part, I like to talk about the history of things. It doesn't have to be history of politics, history about, in general, baseball is a big topic here, being the flagship of the Cardinals. A great history of baseball was broadcasted right here. Many great years with, with uh, Jack Buck and, man, think of all the different great names that were on this radio station. So we love our baseball history here. Joining us now is the author of a book called How Baseball Happened, Outrageous Lies Exposed, The True Story Revealed. Thomas Gilbert, thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Uh, my pleasure. Outrageous. When you have a name like Outrageous right on the title, there's you got to have outrageous things in there. So let's talk about some of those things that you may have discovered that were truly outrageous. Well, um, the uh, origin stories that we've all heard about baseball, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a baseball historian. I've always known that they weren't exactly true. Some of them aren't true at all. But um, until I wrote this book, I didn't realize that the people that told them knew they weren't true. So that's outrageous. <laughs> so tell me why they would exaggerate. So is it the trying to further the game along, trying to make it more popular? Was it for uh, the greater good is what they thought? Or what would be the reason to, to tell a lie? Well, the the two main stories that you hear are the double day story that almost everyone has heard and most people probably know it isn't true you know that abner doubleday invented the game one day in 1839 when he was a teenager in upstate new york um the other story that gets taken more seriously is that the knickerbockers a early new york city amateur club are the first club and they published the first rules and more or less invented the game um both of those stories were never true at all. And the people that told them 
they were told at different times in history, but the people that told them uh, didn't tell them because they believed them. They told them for another reason. And the main reason is uh, to deny that there was any kind of British connection. Oh, so, <laughs> I know that sounds strange. <laughs> well, now but it yeah, does, but stuff. then probably not. Um, you know, yeah, there's a lot of outside stuff. influence, you know. that like, I remember hearing stories about how uh, ownership for the longest time, they wanted to make sure anyone that owned a ball club had to be, a, you know, all-American. You know, they didn't want foreign owners or to dip in their hands into the great American game. So, And that's just going back, you know, a couple of decades ago. But, yeah, going all the way back, I can see why you'd want to be able to claim something as yours. But, man, that's a pretty big cover-up that seems like everyone just kind of went along with. Well, there's a lot of ironies here. One of them is that um, even though both stories are not true, um, and they were both told more or less for marketing reasons, because baseball, they were told at different times by different people, but baseball has always wrapped itself in the flag and marketed itself as an all-American sport. I mean, one of the big ironies for me is that it's true that baseball is 100% American. But... Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was this idea going around that it somehow was related to rounders, which you may have heard this theory. People still say it. That's a uh, kind of children's version of cricket that they play in England and other places. Um, but it's really not descended from rounders. So when Albert Spaulding, who was the owner of the Cubs in the 1900s, came up with this uh, commission that he appointed to find a American inventor of baseball, um, he, in other places, made very intelligent arguments that baseball was an original American sport. The thing was, they wanted to shut off this whole idea. So, you know, the simple reason for these stories is if somebody invented it in America and they're American, <laughs> that's the end of the subject. You don't have to argue about rounders anymore. Huh. I want to think that over the years, the intentions may be well. Do you, do you feel like there might have been well-intended reasons for this or does that not even play a factor oh yeah no 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 question i mean for one thing you know as i was trying to say the um the central idea they were right about that baseball is american you can't really connect it to routers and people have tried so you know we don't know when baseball started because it goes back into the myths of history but we know where and we know that there's it's totally dissimilar to these english games like rounders and cricket um, we know it came from New York City, mm -hmm. somewhere in the late 18th century, 19th century. It sort of emerges. And um, the other thing is that uh, this is something my book talks about, that before professional baseball, which started in 1871, baseball was an amateur sport played by ordinary people. Mm -hmm. You know, it got to be played at a pretty high level, but it was played by people who had other careers and jobs and lives outside of sports. And they had a serious purpose. They weren't just playing for fun. They were also trying to use sports as a way of bringing the country together. So that's a, you know, had a patriotic mission in a way. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, there's a purpose behind it at that point. Uh, the book is called How uh, Baseball Happened, Outrageous Lies Exposed, The True Story Revealed. And author Thomas Gilbert joining us. So I want to talk about trying to find the origins, the history, and going back. Because a lot of people today are interested in genealogy. In the last decade or two, there's the rise of the websites that try to connect certain people in their family trees. And so many people get interested in going back through the history books, and they find things that they didn't realize about their family. So when you try to track something along the lines of the origins of baseball, something that is just known by every single person on this planet, a sport that's just widely popular, 
you said it's difficult to track it to the exact origin spot. So when you start to go and do the research for something like this, what are some of those like roadblocks that got into your way that stopped you from finding the truth? And what are some of those things that you found that may have been surprising that were sitting in a box somewhere that you just discovered and you thought, wow, how come no one's ever seen this? Yeah, I mean, I, I read a lot of diaries. Um, you read a lot of newspaper stories when you're doing what I'm doing. Um, letters. But, you know, here's the biggest roadblock, and that's a good question. The biggest roadblock is that newspapers didn't start covering baseball until the 18, late 1840s into the 1850s. So that's the first time anybody thinks that a baseball game is news. But that doesn't mean it wasn't happening. Right. And sometimes you know that something was happening only kind of by, uh, you know, hypothesis. Like in the 1860s, African-American clubs show up and, and they're competitive. But there's nothing about them in the newspapers, which isn't really surprising if you understand the society of the time. So it's very important to remember when you're a historian that the fact that nothing is written about in the newspaper doesn't mean it isn't happening. Yeah. So what's the farthest you said you can date back baseball to one of the first times it's listed in a newspaper? Yeah. So here's the other problem is that you can find fragmentary references to baseball or base, particular baseball games in the 1830s, the 20s, the 10s, even the late 18th century. Um, the problem is that uh, you don't entirely know what they mean by the word baseball. Mm-hmm. So you can prove that somebody was playing something called baseball. You just don't even know exactly what they were doing because that word had different meanings until it really got organized. You know, this is kind of a weird question, because when you're going back that far, any proof that Abraham Lincoln attended a baseball game? Uh, yeah, he he watched some games, and he um, was interested yeah. in baseball. Oh, that's cool. Um, well, when you're talking about that far back, it's amazing, the, our history, that even some things like that would be documented. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, one of the big issues I deal with in the book is the Civil War, because, you know, baseball kind of comes on the radar in terms of national press in the mid-1850s. And that's when it's really getting going as a sort of cause to make it a national sport. It's coming out of New York and it's spreading everywhere. And one thing you don't really read about in history books is how fast it accomplished this goal of becoming a national sport. Because in 18, late 1860s, everyone is calling baseball the national pastime and everyone's playing it from California to New Orleans to Minnesota to New York. So it all happened really quickly. And of course, in the middle of that 15-year period, uh, everyone stops to, pl- to fight the Civil War. I wonder if uh, there were professional teams when Abe Lincoln was around, if he'd be a Cubs fan, and that kind of makes me feel sad if that's actually the case. But, um, <laughs> if it, you know, I, when you I know, talk about ba- – yeah. oh, go ahead, sorry. I was going to say that, you know, it's funny, but the competition between the Midwestern cities had a lot to do with stimulating baseball. Um, oh, yeah. Cincinnati, the famous Cincinnati Red Stockings, you know, the businessmen that backed them in the late 1860s, they were ne- looking over their shoulder and seeing that places like St. Louis, um, Chicago, um, Detroit were starting to catch up with them, mostly because of railroads. I wonder if you had any other references to St. Louis in your book, something you may have found as part of your research. Yeah, well, as part of my research, one thing I did was I went, I'm trying to find patterns of spread and development, and, you know, I found some. So one of them is uh, I'm looking at the early clubs in every city. And I did research the first clubs in St. Louis, 
And uh, in the 1850s, people in St. Louis were playing um, different games, like they played a game called wicket and they played a little cricket. And um, the person that really convinced them almost single-handedly to switch to baseball was a guy named Merritt Griswold. And the town, uh, their first couple early clubs were called the Empires and the Cyclones. Um, Griswold was from Brooklyn, which was a baseball hotbed. So this was one of those patterns that repeats as you, when you look at the early clubs, you tend, they tend to be full of New Yorkers. Mm -hmm. But people bring it with them if they move. And St. Louis had a lot of people moving here, being that there was a a huge railroad hub, got a lot of immigrants coming through St. Louis with the the central station. New Yorkers. Yeah. A lot of these New Yorkers are involved in the railroad, um, which is another big part of my story. You know, um, the railroad is doing the same thing baseball's doing. It's knitting the country together, and some of the same people are interested in both things. Yeah, and plus, uh, a lot of times, I guess later, and you know, you go many years later. Not we're not talking the eighteen hundreds at this point, but when someone was going to be shipped out for service, a lot of times they would meet here in St. Louis, and then they would travel over to the East Coast after that. Wait, did you say here in St. Louis they were playing cricket and wicket? Is that the two games? Yeah, wicket is a. Uh... It's kind of a version of cricket that was popular in Connecticut. State settlers from southern New England took it west. And there's a lot of forgotten regional games that were played with bats and balls that nobody remembers. Uh, um, Philadelphia had their own version, of, had their own bat and ball game. So did Boston. You know, if you ever write a children's book about baseball, the two characters need to be Wicked and Cricket. It'd be awesome for <laughs> a, a kid's version of this. So there's some free advice for you. Um, do you mind holding on after the break? No problem. The book is called How Baseball Happened, Outrageous Lies Exposed, the true story revealed in author Thomas Gilbert. We continue with him next on Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Overnight America is live with you tonight. And joining us is author Thomas Gilbert, the book how Baseball Happened, Outrageous Lies Exposed, and the True Story Revealed. Having fun with this topic. I love talking history, so I, I get to learn about all kinds of new things. I'm not a huge baseball fan. I grew up watching hockey. Baseball is kind of like something that I, I have a general, basic, uh, base-level understanding of. So learning things like this is always good because not everyone um, not everyone knows it, you know, but here in St. Louis, people go crazy. I mean, it's such a big baseball no, it's community. A, it, it's part of people's lives. Yeah. It's um, a great baseball town. In fact, I'm a New Yorker, but I rooted for the Cardinals when I was a kid. <laughs> That's great. Why? What was your, uh, what was your connection to the Cardinals? The Yankees traded my favorite player to the Cardinals. What, who was that? Oh yeah. Yeah. That'll do it. And then, you know, uh, with, then I, w- I was a pitcher. So I got to watch Bob Gibson in his prime and, um, tried to model myself after him. I hit a lot of people. <laughs> Gibson was so good. And you know, it's, it's a shame. We just lost him in the last couple of weeks, but what a dominating pitcher. It's hard to imagine anyone being that good ever again. He was, I mean, he had some great seasons, man. No, I mean, 68 um, was looking at that. Oh, it's just amazing. So I wanted to ask you, based on your research, is there a holy grail of documents you weren't able to find? Is there something that you wish you could find but just haven't yet? Well, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, there's sort of a dark ages in the 1830s and 20s, and you'd love to know what was going on because, you know, when I was talking about those, you know, fragments, a little baseball story that pops up in 1820 saying, 
these two clubs that we know nothing about are playing at a certain time and place. Um, it's very tantalizing. And, it, uh, you know, there, there are people in my um, story who I talk about who, you know, I know they played baseball, but they only show up in the story in their 40s, for instance. You know, one of the Thomas Fitzgerald, who was the founder of the athletics in Philadelphia, was a New Yorker. And, you know, I know he played baseball. We just don't know any details. We don't know who for. We don't know where. And, you know, that's, I don't know if there is a treasure trove somewhere, but it would be great. Every once in a while, somebody finds something that changes the picture a bit. Yeah, they find something and you hope they know what they found because sometimes people clean things out and they don't realize what they have. And it could be something that's not documented somewhere. I'm also wondering, too, about why you think baseball thrived because you mentioned all these other sports that were documented. Baseball caught on fairly quick. Why is it that you think baseball was the one that became America's pastime? Well, that is another good question. So the first thing about baseball that was different from all the other games is it was really the people that played it. They, baseball had ambition. So in 1858, um, they formed this governing body called the National Association of Baseball Players. And it was founded in New York. And at the first uh, meeting in 1858, <clears throat> there are 25 clubs and they're all from New York and Brooklyn or very close to the city. So it's sort of laughable to call it national. But what it told you was that they were basically declaring their intention to make it the national sport. And then they went out and did it. They did it by traveling. Um, they did it by promoting the game. And um, the other thing is that baseball. Now, if we got in the time machine, we went back to the beginning of baseball, uh, you know, as far as we know, in the 1850s, the first clubs we know anything about. Um, the first thing you'd notice if you went to a game is that there's nobody watching it. Hmm. So all these games we're talking about are just pastimes. They're just played for fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the late 1850s, uh, fans show up at games between Brooklyn and New York clubs. And it's, it's the first time anything like that ever happened. So we're so used to sports. We, you know, people's jaws drop when I tell them there was a time when there were no spectator sports, and there, but there weren't. <laughs> So, yeah, the, and the, not only that, the fans, they kind of invented themselves. And this is part of the story that I'm telling. Mm -hmm. Because the people that were playing the games thought, well, it's fun to, for Brooklyn to challenge New York or for one club to challenge another. But suddenly crowds of people start showing up. And in the, even the reporters covering the games are confused about why they care. Like, why are they there? <laughs> Did they bet on it? That's what they're saying. <laughs> It is funny. I mean, it made me laugh. You read these stories, and it's actually hilarious, because what are the people doing? They're rooting, and they're yeah. booing the umpire on a close call, and the people within the baseball world find this very disturbing. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because you hear those things, and they're like memes online, where people will post something along the lines of, you know, who is the first person to think about milk you know and and who did that who thought to do that to a cow to get milk and then you you don't realize there's a first to something and it's not always organized but baseball people there's got to be a time where just fans would just show up and then it was just an organic way people started enjoying it that's amazing i never would have thought of that that that's why yeah. it's one of those little things that it's important to preserve the history of uh sports and preserve the history of really pretty much everything i love learning things like that so um how baseball happened is the name of the book and can you tell me if people listening right now wanted to pick up a copy of this for them or their friends or a loved one where can they go well uh, i have a website called how Baseball Happened, with no space between the words, howbaseballhappened.com. 
that has some links. You can, it'll probably be in your local bookstore right now. And you can also get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or any of the places online that sell books. Yeah, you're getting great ratings online. How Baseball Happened, Outrageous Lies Exposed, The True Story Revealed, and author Thomas Gilbert. I really enjoyed the time today, and I'm so glad we had a little bit of uh, moments where we can break away and talk baseball. It always feels good to do that. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So look up his book, How Baseball Happened, The True Story Revealed. Thomas Gilbert is the author, howbaseballhappened.com. You can pick it up on Amazon, send it to a friend. I know you got a lot of baseball friends and family out there that are always looking for things like this. It's a real fascinating book, and uh, um, five-star reviews on Amazon right now, too. He joins us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Joining us next, local author Bill Clevelin. He wrote Finding the American Dream, Traveling, Going Through. Lots of big names have ties to St. Louis and also the state of Missouri. So we'll talk to him about a couple of those coming up next hour. Looking forward to it on Overnight America KMOX. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.